For those of you that are not in the know, that comes from the Lego movie. It's a song called Everything is Awesome. And uh, unlike what Luke was saying at prayer, this is not the anthem that I wake up to every morning. In fact, everything is not often not so awesome. And I guess what makes it so funny is that when we know that um, actually the world doesn't like this, it's definitely not the case that everything is awesome. But sometimes what I find is that it's easy for us to fall into this narrative and have expectations that life should be awesome all the time. We can often be left surprised and disappointed when things are anything short of awesome. So I I see quite a few new faces here. So for those that don't know me, my name's Caroline. I should probably introduce myself. That was not an awesome start to a sermon. Um, (laughs) But um, it is so good for you guys to be here, and it's so great for us to be together. And today what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking a little bit about things when things aren't that awesome, when things are quite challenging. So even when I know myself as an eternal optimist, I find myself being caught off guard and unprepared when life is full of its challenges, when life does not meet my expectations. And the great thing is that as church, we can be reminded of the true narrative that we actually live in, and it's God's story. The Bible really helps us to truly understand and make sense of the reality of our lives. And we currently live in this tension, don't we, between the now and the not yet. So whilst we can experience God's goodness, his grace, his mercy, his presence, and the great gifts in life, we also know that we are living in a broken, fallen world, and we're experiencing the consequences of that daily. Broken relationships with God, with others, and even ourselves. And there are many passages in the Bible that look to prepare us for the trials we'll face, and they all show us that challenges are inevitable. Can we come to the first slide? So here are a couple. In James 1, it said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And in 1 Peter, it says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer the grief in all kinds of trials. Even Jesus warns us of these challenges. In John 16, it said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Despite the trouble that Jesus warns, he also gives us an encouragement. He has overcome the world. How amazing is that? Not that amazing today. (laughs) How amazing is that? He has overcome the world because he died on the cross for us and all that is wrong in the world because he rose again after three days and defeated death. His sacrifice means that despite the challenges we face, we can actually have hope. He has made a way for us to deal with the challenges of life. So last week, um, Tony started our series on radical friendship. And as we look at different aspects of life together as a church at THCC, and he gave an overview of friendship and the importance of it. And if you haven't already, I would encourage you to listen back to his talk. It's quick rapid fire over a whole of friendship and there's just so much in there so much to reflect on and I know many of us have been challenged already but today we are going to be looking at the challenges of friendship and as we know challenges are guaranteed in life and our friendships are definitely not immune to the consequences of a broken fallen world 
So in preparation for this talk, I've been reflecting on friendships I have had through my life. Now, as someone who tends to have a short-term memory, I realise I've totally forgotten and moved on from many of the more difficult, challenging moments with friends. Friendships that have caused pain and hurt at the time, but that I've got over and moved on from. There have been times when I've been excluded from friendships. So when I was 16, um, there was a group of my closest friends, um, and they all went interrailing around Europe after the, our GCSEs, and I wasn't allowed to go. It was such a bonding experience for them, and I'd missed out on such, creating such memories. And when they came back, we just drifted apart. I was no longer part of the group. We didn't have that shared experience. When I was in my 20s and I was out of work, my friends who were earning and they were on decent wages started to stop inviting me out for dinner, for theatre trips and holidays because I couldn't afford it. The times I've had conflicts and disagreements with friends, when I was going through a really low time, I'm happy with myself and my life and the way things were going and generally not meeting my high expectations. I got told by a close friend that I was being too depressing to hang out with. We are still good friends, by the way. <laughs> or the time where I'd been, I was told that I was being too self-obsessed and probably too selfish, and I was probably being a bad friend. Even back to primary school, when my best friend Dina and I were so close, until Rosie came along. Initially, we were three best friends, but then there would be days when, well, Dina and Rosie were best friends, and I'm sure Rosie and I, and then Dina and I at some points too. There have been times where I've felt the challenge of maintaining friendships. It's brought great sadness to me, reflecting back, seeing some of those friends that I was so close to at certain periods of my life that I've either not kept in touch with or, um, yeah, just things, life just happens. Experiencing the hardship and grief of those who have moved away. We've got friends, great friends now in South Africa, in Canada, and even to South London. And in this season, having had a change in life circumstance, will I say, becoming a mum about three years ago, moving church, changing work, let alone with all of what the pandemic brought, I found it to be quite a lonely season. The challenge of maintaining friends um, with those that live away um, and are at different stages of life, having to make new friends at church and in our local area, I'm not always feeling up for it, to be honest. Or, surprisingly, I, I still probably don't know how to make friends, even in my 40s. And I'm not saying this as a massive sob story. I mean, these stories are all, I realise, from my perspective. But the thing about friendship is that it isn't just one way. So I, I, I kind of had a little chuckle to myself when I, I got given this title, because in our house, we use the word challenging quite a lot at the moment in the context of Arwen my daughter, you are being very challenging today. And it often means you're being hard work, you're being testing, you're being demanding and a bit annoying. And then came the day, mummy, you are being challenging. <laughs> I know that at times I've been the one that's caused the hurts and the pains and sometimes without even knowing or realizing it. And even recently I've had a friend of mine who I missed their significant birthday party and was hurt by this. And I only actually realised how badly I'd hurt them afterwards. I'm sure there are plenty more examples of how I have been challenging too. So yeah, as I've been preparing this, it's been like, pff, I find friendships challenging. 
But it's reassuring to know that even in the Bible, the great apostle Paul had friendship challenges. In Acts 15, there's an account of a disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. It says, sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. It's really sad, isn't it, when you hear stories of when two friends who were super close having a sharp disagreement. And the clash was so severe that they even went their separate ways. But despite this, we do see in the Bible that they did continue to view each other as faithful brothers and supported one another on their missional journeys. Paul continues to refer to Barnabas as an apostle of Christ and fellow laborer for the kingdom in other letters, like the ones to the Corinthians. And Paul also kept Barnabas and Mark in his prayers, and I'm sure that was mutual. It shows that despite disagreements, there was still a love for one another. And later on, it actually appears that they, they have reconciled. In 2 Timothy, this is way later on in Paul's life, it says, Do your best to come to me quickly, Paul says. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. And I love the fact that in the Bible, it doesn't hide these very human interactions. It shows us that God wants us to be realistic. And we can often have unrealistic expectations, especially of relationships and friendships. And sometimes I find, especially in church, when things go wrong, we can be tempted to question the power of the gospel or even in extreme circumstances give up on faith when we're hurt by Christians. But stories like this disagreement show us that disagreements, even between two godly apostles, are a reality of what we face in this age. And I think what I realized, like, I, you know, I tend to do a kind of asking everyone else around in preparation for my sermon, so it's almost a few different things. But, you know, through this, what I found is that everyone finds friendship challenging. But they find friendship challenging in different ways. Whether it be making friends or maintaining deep friends, suffering from loneliness even when we have lots of friends or no friends, being let down by friends or letting friends down, having conflicts with friends. They can be either major bust-ups, right, or just silent disagreements that we're just not going to handle and that just lead to us drifting apart. It can be about experiencing pressures with our time and our capacity, which impacts on our ability to invest in friends. And then I've been thinking, especially as a church, when we're called to be friends with people that aren't necessarily like us, but we are united in Jesus, there is plenty of room for tension and disagreement to enter in. Everyone, whoever we are, finds friendship challenging, and we find challenging in different ways. So with this much challenge, are friendships even worth it? I mean, it was so nice to hear, wasn't it, the, just the positives of friendships um, from our panel earlier, from Fimber, Joss, Martha, and Luke some of the great things about friendship, some of the support and the care and the love and being known and just, you know, going through some stuff with them. These are great things about friendship and they're things that we're grateful for. 
When friendship exists, there is a love and affection and a trust and an encouragement. But what strikes me is the way that Jesus defines friendship. He says, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Wow. What a challenge in itself. When we start to understand more deeply what friendship means from a biblical perspective, we begin to see how powerful and vital friendships are. And I am just so increasingly convinced that friendship is the way that God designed us to be. And they are so needed for today. And they're so needed, especially in our churches. Not only are friendships the antidote to loneliness epidemic, but they are the key to human flourishing. And friendships are powerful. And I'm going to talk about three things. Friendships are powerful because, firstly, we were created for friendship. From the beginning of it in Genesis, we see the creator God. He was three persons in one. It's the amazing mystery of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God in community. God is relational. And he created us to be relational like him too. As he said, let us make mankind in our image. And as the universe and all of creation takes shape, it's all really good. Well, it's all good, and then it's very good, isn't it? But there's one thing that isn't good. Does anyone remember? Do we know our Bibles? Yes, brilliant. That it's the, the one thing that is not good is for man to not to be alone. For man to be alone, <laughs> not, not to be alone. <laughs> oh, I'm struggling today. And that's because we were made for intimacy and connection. No matter if we're single, if we're married, if we're young, if we're old, whatever different circumstances we are, we were created for friendship. There is not one single person in this room that wasn't created for friendship. We are all called to be friends. And God created friendships to be good. We can see this even in the physical benefits. And I love this. It's kind of like, you know, when you kind of find out, so I'm not a medic, but this is just incredible. The way that we are made, the way that God knits us together. It's the way our bodies are designed and the effects that different hormones have on our health and well-being. When we make friends and spend time with those that we love, the levels of the hormone oxytocin increases. And oxytocin is that hormone that gives us that warm, fuzzy feeling when we have bonded with someone, when we're ready to trust someone and let them in. And it helps us feel connected. When we're with good friends, we're laughing, we're singing, we experience a release of endorphins, the sort of endorphins you get when you go for a run at us. <laughs> I don't get those yet because I haven't got to that level. But anyway, um, endorphins don't just make us feel good, but they also increase our immunity to diseases. How incredible is that? Studies show that if you don't have a close friend, you're more likely to experience stress with an increase in cortisol levels. When cortisol levels are high, our bodies prepare to face non-existent threats and our senses are on high alert. And if we're at that level constantly, it can seriously affect our health. The anthropologist Robin Dunbar says, friendships protect us from disease as well as cognitive decline allows us to be more engaged with the tasks that we have to do and helps us to become more embedded within and trusting of the wider community within which we live. And depth of friendship is important too. The more we talk with friends, the happier we are. And for those with strong friendships, they also apparently statistically live significantly longer than those who look after themselves physically but are socially isolated. 
Strong relational bonds extend life expectancy. And isn't that incredible that we, we find these things out? I, I, I always find it's like going on this kind of, don't know, like playing this little game of God of seeing how he's created things and just going and just being in awe of just how he is in the very details of how we are made. And secondly, I would say the power of friendship is because friendship is a gift from God. I'm going to move this because I keep tripping over it. Sorry. In God's wisdom, he has given us the gift of friendship. It's his creation, his passion and his purpose for our life. God has given us friendship, not because it is good for our health and well-being with its physical, mental and emotional benefits, though that's true, but because God wants us to be in deep communion with friends. Community is the place in which God creates us to be. And friendships are life-giving. We heard that earlier. And God wants to give us good, life-giving friends. The Bible is full of stories of friendship. Once you start to read it through this lens, you, you see and appreciate God's gifts and the way that God's people have received this gift, whether it be Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Naomi and Ruth, Elijah and Elisha, and even King David. He had friends. He had friends in Jonathan, a mentor in Samuel, Nathan, and plenty of others. Friendship is a precious gift from God. So I ask you today, are we receiving God's gift of friendship wholeheartedly with open arms? We celebrated um, Leo's birthday on Thursday. And yes, he had plenty of gifts from different people and presents and stuff. And it's just incredible the difference that you see of like, oh, opening up a present or like not being bothered. And I just think sometimes God gives us all these gifts, doesn't he? And we just kind of like are a bit like, meh. Oh, we're just like, oh, that's a bit more interesting. Um, Yeah, I'm accrediting ourselves to two-year-olds, but, um, you know, are we really appreciating the gifts that God gives us in friendship? And thirdly, friendship is how we actually glorify God. Following Jesus and being a disciple is not an individual pursuit. It's not just me and him, and that's it, because we are actually called to do this together. When Jesus tells us and reminds us of the two commandments, these are loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and loving our neighbors as ourselves. These two commandments are inseparable. We glorify God by loving others well. Friendship is the key to our spiritual life. It has the power to keep us fighting the good fight of faith together. So are we actually valuing friendship in the way that God values them? Friendships are not only essential, but despite the challenges, I'd say they are worth fighting for. But it's no surprise, is it, that friendships are challenging? Friendships involve sinful and fallen people. And too often, we can be our own worst enemies when it comes to the quality of our friendships. The reality is that we are all sinful and fallen human beings. Whether it be our own selfishness, our sinfulness, or our self-centeredness, we experience tensions and can hurt or be hurt by our friends. And it's hard, isn't it? The closer the friend is, the deeper the pain is when we're feeling let down or betrayed. I don't know if you've had that experience. Our selfishness can be a huge barrier to forming meaningful friendships, and it plays out in different ways. Perhaps we've chosen our friends based on what we can get out of them rather than how we love them. 
Maybe we find our patience runs out when dealing with our friends and it causes conflict. Maybe we just can't be bothered to make the effort or just can't, don't feel really up for it and are unable to prioritize friendships. And we'd just rather spend that time alone. We're susceptible to selfish and sinful motives and behaviors. And I've been asking myself this, are, are, am I putting myself in front of others in my friendships? And I th- I'd encourage us to, to really be thinking about this. But fortunately, we have the gospel. We have the good news. We're able to look at the cross and see the grace and mercy of God on display. Jesus taught his disciples that their lives should be marked by grace and mercy. He puts others before himself. He models it. He demonstrates this on the cross. And he forgave those who sinned against him. We need forgiveness and grace to keep our friendships from collapsing. The other reason why I think that friendships are often challenging is because friendships involve dealing with the lows. Now, we know life is full of highs and lows, and too often in our modern society, we find it hard to walk with others through the lows, through the pain and suffering. I don't know if that's just my experience or if you're feeling the same, but too often I find we're not used to sitting with others in their suffering for long periods of time. For some of us, we've had to do this just through the circumstances of sickness or tragedy. But choosing to enter into the pain of others is becoming increasingly rare. Most of the time, we look to avoid pain. Jesus didn't run away from others' pain. He chose to run towards it and enter into the pain of others. In Isaiah, Jesus is described as a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. He knew how to sit with people in their lows. And that is what good friends do. Deep, meaningful friendships are those who we can weep with as well as rejoice with. We need friends who see us, know us, love us and hold us through the moments when life gets tough. And I want to be this kind of friend. I want to be like Jesus, a Jesus-like friend. And to my shame, I know that I have definitely been far from this. I found it really hard to be there for friends when they're feeling really low going through bouts of depression or hard times. Um, the problem solver in me um, always finds, that I, finds it hard to just sit with them in the pain. I've struggled when I haven't found, you know, the solution to solve their issues or just to take away their pain. And I find it really hard, if I'm honest, when their lows seem to go on for extended periods of time, not just days, weeks, but like years. Radical friendships need us to be both vulnerable and patient. We need to be able to let people in, to build trust with them so that we can share and sit more comfortably with them in their pain. It requires vulnerability on both sides. And finally, it's no surprise, friendships, if friendships are so good for us and so essential to navigating our lives as we follow Jesus, it should come as no surprise that they are under attack. And I think this is really good and important for us to remember. We have an enemy who is working against us and what is good for us. Satan hates friendships. He stands in the way of us thriving spiritually and relationally, where God's heart is for unity and relational human flourishing. Satan's is for division and destruction. He will do all he can to destroy friendships. 
inauthenticity, dishonesty, resentment in relationships. These give the devil leverage in our lives and our friendships. And in Ephesians, when talking about relationships with one another, it says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not, let, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Satan seeks to divide through lies. Truth and trust are the foundations needed for good friendships. And lies and deceit ruin friendships. Lies can incite jealousy, envy, cause us to resent rather than celebrate the successes of friends. Lies can expose our insecurities, provoke us to keep our defenses, and even distort our thinking and convince us that we either don't need friends or that no one wants to spend any time with us. Let's be aware. Let's pray against such attacks of the enemy. I'd say radical friendships need prayer. And the great thing is we can look to Jesus as the one who models what it looks like to be a good friend. And it's really helped me knowing that Jesus has experienced himself the challenges of friendship. And yet he hasn't given up on friendships. And in our reading today that Zoe did, we hear the account of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And this has been a passage that I've really, um, yeah, just found so much comfort in to actually see the humanity of Jesus and in the friendships that he, that he has. So for those that don't know, um, the passage takes place just after Jesus has celebrated the Passover with his friends, his disciples in the upper room. And after the meal, he goes to, to Gethsemane with his inner circle. So those are Peter, James, and John. And there's real significance in this place, Gethsemane. It's a place where Jesus regularly went to be with his father. But the word Gethsemane actually means oil press. And this was a place where olives were pressed into oil. And it's just so symbolic. Can you imagine the pressure that, um, of pressing these olives into oil? The pressure that Jesus found himself under. So we read, He took Peter and two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus really models what it means to show vulnerability. Even at this time when he's experiencing this overwhelming sorrow and distress, he acknowledges his need for friends. Never really thought about it like that. Just always thought, oh yeah, he's just going along with his mates to Gethsemane, going for a pray. But he acknowledges them. He brings them with him. He shares this agonizing time with them. Even in the face of betrayal from Judas to come and in the lead up to him facing the cross. Too often we can think that um, in our times of agony and grief, the best thing to do is just hide away. Often like that. I don't want anyone to see me in that. I'm just like, I need to just sort it out. It's natural to want to disconnect and sort ourselves out in the privacy of, our, of being on our own. But at times like these, we need our friends. We need friends to be able to bring encouragement, to bring perspective, to bring grace and presence, to remind us of Jesus. Anyway, Jesus goes away to pray and he asks his friends to keep watch. And so it says, then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? 
he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. At this very time of need, even Jesus is being let down by his friends. And it doesn't just happen once, right? It happens three times. Three times. He goes away a second time, prays, my father, these big, big prayers, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And he comes back and he finds sleeping (laughs) because their eyes were heavy. That's quite a good excuse (laughs) for for letting some down. My eyes were just heavy. And goes away again and prays the same thing. And then we see, then he returned to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. I don't know what you would have done if you were Jesus in that situation. I would have just, I don't know, I'd have been super angry for sure. Or just disappointed and just hurt, right? Like imagine that. But then even still, after when Jesus is arrested, Peter goes on to attack one of the guards and cuts his ear off. And to me, it's just this this human thing of like, Peter, he doesn't understand what Jesus needs. Peter has no idea that actually, in Jesus' time of need, he doesn't need someone to physically just fight, fight for him. He needs someone to just stay awake. <laughs> stay awake and just be a friend and watch and pray. And later on, it says, in that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. This is when, um, you know, Judas has obviously come out and they're, they're coming to arrest him. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. And then there's this line. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Jesus experienced the very pain of isolation. It's quite, quite prominent, that, isn't it? His friends are unable to understand what he's going through. I can only imagine Jesus must have been left there feeling completely isolated and alone and lonely, even whilst having these close friends. And despite this, Jesus still remains close to these friends. He doesn't just like say, okay, this is what they've done to me. I no longer love them as my friends. They are still his inner circle. And it's just amazing to see later on in the Gospels when it says, you know, Peter letting him down, denying him three times, denying that he knows him. Jesus still forgives him and reinstates him. And there's that beautiful verse in John when it says, when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And it's three times, isn't it? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time. So this hurt goes both ways, doesn't it? Do you love me, he said. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And it's this amazing picture of how Jesus just shows grace and forgiveness. And as I wrap up, I just want to to say, like, as we've been going through this, friendship can be some of the most beautiful and wonderful relationships we experience. 
but they can also be some of the most discouraging and challenging. But but the amazing thing is we can be confident that God is with us through the challenges we face. God is with us through the pressures and through the sufferings. He knows and understands what it means to experience these challenges. God can help us to reveal where our particular challenges may be. He can help to encourage us to minimize the impact of these challenges. And through the grace and kindness of God, the power of the cross and resurrection means that we have no enemies that can hold on to us. Here at THCC, we want to be a community of people following Jesus well. And our vision is to love God, love one another, and love our community. And to do this well, friendships are essential. And I've been reflecting on this for a couple of years now. I mean, there's this this, um, definition that Jesus gives to us in John 15. I'll read it again. It says... Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And I've been so challenged by this verse. Because I don't know, I mean, often when people say, oh, who'd you die for? It's like family, right? Or like my kids. Or, but to actually lay down one's life for one's friends, it really shows a value, a high value of friendship that God has God values friendship so much. And increasingly, I feel that one thing is becoming clear. If God has a high view of friendship, we must too. And our high view of friendship means that the challenges are worth facing and they're worth overcoming. Because God has created us for friendship. It's one key ingredient to how we live well. He has gifted us with friendship. And he gives us friendship so we can ultimately together glorify him. How we love each other matters. And it is a love that is really needed in this world. It's a love that is sacrificial and it points to Jesus. So how are we doing on our friendships? Where do we find them challenging? Where are we asking God to help us through the challenges so that we can see Christ-like friendships in our lives here at THCC and even across the world? Wouldn't it be great for us to be a church that is known for being the best friends? I'm just going to invite the band up. And I'd just like us to take a moment. Um, I think in preparing this, uh, Tony and Katie and I were thinking that there aren't that many sermons or talks preached that we found on friendship. But there is something stirring in the spirit. There are lots, lots more books that are focusing on friendship. I mean, I've been speaking to a few people and like probably about four different books that I knew of people that uh, were writing on friendship. And it really does strike me that this could possibly be, you know, like that kind of, it's, our, it's, it's, it's God's little secret to us. Let's just be great friends. And let, let us not only do that so that we are, become more like Jesus, but we model it and we show the world what it means to be a friend and to know God as a friend. So let us pray. Father God, we just want to thank you for the gift of friendship. Father, we thank you that your, how you see friendship and the, value, the high value that you place on it has so many benefits in so many ways, and is so needed in our lives, in our church, and in our community. 
Father, I pray that you just help us to be better friends. I I pray for each one of us here that we would take this time to just reflect on, on the state of our friendships, whether good or bad, knowing that there is so much grace, so much grace. And Father, I just want to remind us, we sang earlier, we sang earlier these words from um, Graves into Gardens. And I was just so struck by what it is that you had to say in this, if I can find it. Sorry. It says, I'm not afraid to show you my weakness, my failures and flaws. Lord, you've seen them all and you still call me friend. Because the God of the mountains is the God of the valley. There's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me. And Father, I just want to thank you that, yeah, through the challenges that we face, that your grace and your mercy just make it so worthwhile. So Father, I just pray that you would just help us to be better friends, to be more like Jesus and to glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' name. Amen.